Now, as a dad of young boys, I should have known that bringing up superheroes was a dangerous question for the front of church on Sunday morning. You never know where that topic could lead. But it's true, isn't it? We, we hear about, we talk about the power of God all the time, but do we really believe it? That he is really able, he is capable of doing anything. Nothing is impossible for him. And that the same God that we read about in Scripture is the same God who is ready and eager to meet with us right here today. Isn't that incredible? So let's enter God's word with that anticipation that he wants to speak to us and meet with us here this morning. So would you bow with me and let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that this morning we come to worship a living God. You are alive. You are well in the world. There is nothing that is too difficult for you. We don't come here to hear about cleverly devised fables. We don't come to hear about someone's made-up idea of you. We come with the full confidence and assurance that you are real, that you are who your word has revealed you to be, and even more than we could understand. And so, Father, this morning we come with anticipation of what you want to reveal to each one of us. And so, as I open your word, Father, I ask that as we look at your Holy Spirit, and your work within each one of us, within your church, within the world, I pray that by your Spirit you would speak through me, that you would open, more than that, Lord, open minds and hearts to understand to greater depths than we have previously. And I pray that through this, Father, you would speak to hearts. Uh, I pray that you would interpret this message to each ear that hears this morning. I ask that the words would be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. There's an old story that Chuck Swindoll has shared before that tells about a market in a faraway village in northern India. Now at this market, everyone brought his wares to trade and sell, and one day one old farmer brought in a whole covey of quail. Now the quail, there was nothing particularly special about. However, what made the quail unique was that this old farmer had tied a string around each one of the bird's legs. The other end of all the strings were tied to a ring which fit loosely over a central stick, and he had then taught the quail to walk dolefully in a circle around and around like mules at a sugarcane mill or like a carousel at the fair. Now, nobody seemed interested in buying these birds, these oddities, until... Along came a devout Brahmin man. This man believed in the Hindu idea of respect for all life, and so his heart of compassion went out to those poor little creatures walking around in their monotonous circles, condemned to a life of of nothing but circling when they had been created to fly. And so the man says, I want to buy them all. Well, the farmer was elated. And so after receiving the money, the farmer was then surprised to hear the man say, Now I want you to take those strings off of their legs and set them all free. What's that, sir? asked the farmer. The whole point of these birds is the oddity of them. I spent a great deal of time training them to do this. You heard me. Cut the strings from their legs and turn them loose. Set them all free. And so with a shrug, the old farmer bent down. He snipped the strings off the quail. They were freed at last. And what happened? 
The birds simply continued marching around and around in a circle. Finally, the man had to shoo them off, but even when they were landed some distance away, they resumed their predictable march, round and around in circles, free, unfettered, released, and yet they kept doing exactly what they had been trained to do, what they had been doing for most of their lives. Free and unfettered, yet they kept going around in circles as if still held captive. For quite simply, they didn't know anything else. And so many Christians are just like those birds. They are good people. They believe in God. They have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They have accepted the great doctrines of the faith. But even though Christ has set them free to fly, they keep themselves grounded, marching around and around in circles, just like those birds. And the question has to be asked, how can this be? How does this happen? Well, it happens when, as followers of Jesus Christ, we fail to properly understand or simply neglect the role of the Holy Spirit living within us. Now, last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. It's the day which always takes place the seventh Sunday following Easter, the day upon which we remember the moment that the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples in the upper room like tongues of flame in a mighty wind. And when he came, he came to indwell and then empower all followers of Jesus Christ from that moment until the day of his return. And the importance of this event simply cannot be overstated. For without the Spirit, there can be no true understanding, no true power, no true fruit, no true love, no true joy, no true peace, The fact is that without the Holy Spirit, there can be no eternal life. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, in the second half, Paul makes this very clear when he said, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So this is a very serious matter, the working of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, Paul writes, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, there can be no true life, no eternal life apart from the Spirit. So Paul says, since we live by Him, let us now keep in step with Him. So how do we do that? Well, that's a great question. And that is the aim of the sermon series that we are beginning today entitled Life in the Spirit, or Keeping in Step with the Spirit. Now you see, what Paul was driving at was the fact that far too many people, once they are saved by the Spirit, were in effect saying to him, now that you've saved me, I don't need you anymore, I've got things under control from here. I needed you for salvation, but to live the Christian life, I'm going to do it on my own from this point forward. And to that way of thinking, to that way of living the Christian life, Paul gives an emphatic no Do not do it. It cannot be done. To simply exchange keeping the Old Testament law by human effort to now trying to keep the New Testament teaching of Christ by human effort is to simply trade one form of legalism for another. But that is not what God intended for us. No, he came to set us completely free from the law so that we could live in complete freedom in and by his spirit. 
Now, the first point I want to drive home this morning, at the outset of this series, is that the person of the Holy Spirit is not some insignificant doctrine of the faith. He's not someone we can keep tucked away in the corner of the basement like my mother-in-law. I kid, I kid. I truly appreciate my mother-in-law a great deal. It just so happens that her guest quarters are in the basement, so that's where that is coming from. You can ask Leanne. But joking aside, I do believe that far too often the, the evangelical church in the West specifically, the evangelical church has done just that with the person of the Holy Spirit. We tend to focus primarily on God the Father and God the Son, for they we can understand, well, at least on some basic level. But God the Spirit, well, he is much more mysterious. He is much more difficult to comprehend. His ways, Jesus described as being like the wind. He blows one way and then the other. No one knows where he comes from and where he goes. It's a mysterious working. And so we sort of tuck him to the side because often unintentionally, we, we simply can't grasp his working And so we tend not to focus upon him. And he's relegated to the basement of church doctrine. He becomes the tag-along little brother that no one pays much attention to. Not that I would know anything about that. So, I want to just make clear to you that this is not a trivial matter. This is of essential importance to our faith. The second point that I want to make this morning is that I use the term the person of the Holy Spirit deliberately. For we often tend to think of the Holy Spirit as impersonal, as some sort of abstract force, an idea perhaps uh, influenced in some way by Eastern mysticism and popularized by movies like Star Wars, which actually names an unseen and impersonal power as what? The Force. Right? And so we sort of get this idea muddled in with the working of the Holy Spirit because there are some parallels But while Star Wars might make for good science fiction, what I am interested in, and I hope you are today as well, is the truth. And we can discover the whole truth of the person of the Holy Spirit within God's Word. And by His, and that is of course the Holy Spirit's leading, we can be drawn into greater understanding. Biblical scholar by the name of R.A. Torrey states the following. It is of the highest importance from the standpoint of worship that we decide whether the Holy Spirit is a divine person worthy to receive our adoration, our faith, our love, and our entire surrender to himself, or whether it is simply an influence emanating from God or a power or an illumination that God imparts to us. If the Holy Spirit is a person and a divine person and we do not know him as such, then we are robbing the divine being of the worship and the faith and the love and the surrender of which he himself is due. But if we once grasp the thought that the Holy Spirit is a divine person of infinite majesty, glory, holiness, and power, who in marvelous condescension has come into our hearts to make his abode there, and to take possession of our lives and make use of them, it will put us in the dust and keep us in the dust. For I can think of no thought more humbling, more overwhelming than the thought that a person of divine majesty and glory dwells in my heart 
and is ready to use even me. And so it is of the utmost and highest importance from the standpoint of experience that we know the Holy Spirit as a person. Thousands and tens of thousands of men and women can testify to the blessing that has come into their own lives as they have come to know the Holy Spirit, not merely as a gracious influence, but as a person, a real person, just as real as Jesus Christ himself, an ever-present, loving friend and mighty helper, who is not always by their side, but dwells in their heart every day and every hour, who is ready to undertake for them in every emergency of life. I hope you're beginning to see the importance of the person and the work of him within each one of us. He is God with us, and he is God in us. There's a story of a little girl who, on the way home from church, turned to her mother and said, Mommy, the preacher's sermon this morning confused me. And the mother said, Oh, why is that? To which the little girl replied, Well, he said that God is bigger than we are. Is that true? Well, yes, of course that's true, the mother replied. Then the little girl continued, But he also said that God lives inside of us. Is that true too? Again, the mother replied, Yes, that's true quite pleased that her little girl was catching on. Well, said the little girl, if God is bigger than us and he lives inside of us, then wouldn't he be sticking out? (laughs) The mind of a child trying to reconcile these great ideas, these great principles of the faith. But it points out an important truth. Essentially, the point that Paul is making throughout his, his many letters is that if we are filled, indwelled, saved, led by the Spirit, then God is going to, in effect, stick out in every aspect of our life. That's exactly what happened at Pentecost. The disciples were empowered to speak in tongues they didn't even know. And there was such a great commotion that people came to see what was going on. They start making up reasons for this this great scene that's happening before them. Maybe they're drunk, they say, and other explanations. And at that moment, formerly bumbling Peter, who before the Spirit filled him was constantly saying the wrong thing, now empowered, filled by the Holy Spirit, stands up and boldly says the right thing. And his sermon convicted the crowd. 3,000 people believed that very day. The church was born, and we are here today as evidence that it was no fluke. The indwelling presence of the person of the Holy Spirit made all the difference that day, and he is still making all the difference today. I want you to turn now with me to Romans chapter 8, and there we're going to look a little bit more closely at the passage that was read for us earlier. Romans chapter 8. There, let's begin reading and looking a little bit more closely at verses 5 and 6. Paul writes, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. First question, what does the Spirit actually do inside of me? What does he actually do? What is he in the process of doing even Right now. Well, first and foremost, the Spirit is inside of you and me through faith in Jesus Christ. He comes in and dwells us. He is inside of me to change me from the inside out. 
He's there to do nothing less than to remake you and I into the image of Christ. Now remember, God already created us the very beginning. He created man to bear his image. And we know that a part of that image is on the outside. We bear his his likeness. But now God wants to change our image to his likeness on the inside as well, within our very hearts and within our minds. And so when we keep in step with or live in accordance with the Spirit, we stop being selfish. We stop being focused on my desires and what me, myself, and I want. And we start being concerned about what the Spirit desires, what God wants. And the result of this is life and peace. Life and peace. Do you desire that today? Do you want life and peace within your soul? Then look no further, for it begins and ends with the Holy Spirit. Now let's look at verses 7 and 8. Paul continues, The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful mind cannot please God. Apart from the Spirit, there is no pleasing God. All of our righteous works are as filthy rags apart from the Spirit of God. Do you believe that today? You could do all of the good works you want in your power, in your flesh, and they would not be pleasing unto God. They would be as filthy rags. It is the Spirit in you that can only enable you to do anything that is pleasing to God the Father. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful mind cannot please God, period. I remember reading a story about rioting that took place in Los Angeles some decades ago. You may have remembered the L.A. riots. People were running through the streets. They were throwing rocks through windows, a typical riot scene. They were flipping cars, setting them on fire, and of course, looting was rampant as it always is in riots. And one reporter in the middle of this bedlam trying to get a street-eye view of the rioting that was taking place stopped a man coming out of a music store with several music albums under his arm. And as the man's running past, the reporter has the mic in his hand and he says, Excuse me, sir, what albums did you take? And the rioter, or the looter, I should say, stops and replies, Gospel music. I just love Jesus. One of these things does not quite belong, does it? (laughs) Something's out of sync here. Something's not quite right. And I suspect if the reporter had asked the man more questions and the man hadn't ran off with his stolen albums, I suspect the man would have said that he was a Christian. And now, while I'm not in a position to pass judgment on this man, while he may have in fact been saved, he was most certainly in that moment not keeping in step with the spirit who had saved him. His default mode had kicked in. His mind was not being controlled by the spirit in that moment. His mind was being controlled by his sinful desires. And so that is all that he sought to satisfy. And Paul tells us more about this default mode of when our mind is not being controlled by the Spirit, but by the flesh. If you turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, there we find a very familiar passage. Galatians chapter 5 and verses 16 to 21. And 
I, I'm not going to expound on it a great deal other than to read it and make a few comments as we go. And Paul says to the church in Galatia, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature, that is the default mode, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality. This can include a laundry list of things. Sleeping with someone who's not your husband or wife. Sex before marriage or outside of marriage. Viewing pornography or even looking with lustful thoughts at someone. These things can all fall under the category of sexual immorality. Secondly, he says impurity and debauchery. This can include telling dirty jokes, saying and doing things that are morally questionable. Idolatry and witchcraft. Now, this doesn't just include bowing down before idols or casting spells. Idolatry is anything that we put before God, like money or pleasure. And witchcraft includes attempting to tap into any source of power outside of God, including mediums, fortune tellers, and the like. He then goes on to say hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Now this is quite a broad category that covers the majority of the ways that Satan absolutely loves to tear down a church. Stirring the pot of discord, planting seeds of jealousy, fostering envy, building walls between rival factions, and hiding selfish ambition behind the false veneer of, I only say this for their good. Make no mistake about it. These things are the devil's playground. Tread on this dangerous ground and you will step on a landmine. It is only the Holy Spirit who brings harmony, understanding, forgiveness, peacefulness, and unity within a life and within the life of a church. Show me a church that is at war within itself, and I will show you a church that is at war with the wrong enemy. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul tells us, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Make no mistake about it. We have a cunning foe who loves nothing more than to pit the saints against each other, divide and conquer. And so the next time you find yourself at odds with a fellow brother or sister in Christ, just stop and ask yourself this question. Who am I really fighting against here? Who am I really fighting against? Who am I really at odds with? Is this issue between me and this fellow believer in the Lord, is this really what we're fighting against here? Am I fighting against this person? Or is Satan trying to sow seeds of discord here? For the Spirit would bring harmony, would bring forgiveness, would bring about reconciliation. And so do not become the devil's prey. Submit your mind fully to the control of the Holy Spirit, and he will direct you in his path of peace. Again, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 to 4, we are told how. He writes, Be completely humble 
and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit. Make every effort, he says, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This is the Spirit's work. We have to allow the Spirit to control our minds so that this is our heart's desire. This is our goal. Back now to Galatians chapter 5, verse 21. And finally, Paul wraps up his list with this. He writes, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, that is in the flesh, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a stark warning. And God is telling us that if we live like that, and the Spirit's not in control of our minds and lives, that could be disastrous to our salvation. Put plainly, to live according to the sinful mind and according to the flesh leads to death. But then in verse 22, Paul turns the corner and he directs us emphatically to the way of life, the way God would have us go. And he writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now this is where we need to be careful. Because some people believe that Christianity is all about don't do this and don't do that. And they figure if they just avoid the works of the flesh, that that will make everything all right. But they'd only be half right. It's not enough to avoid the things that are contrary to the Spirit of God. We must also be continually filled with the Spirit. So that as our sinful thoughts are stripped away, they are replaced by an ever-increasing amount of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And make no mistake about this, it's not just a one-time event. Yes, the Spirit becomes at an initial, he comes at an initial point. But from that point forward, it's a continual process of God's work in our lives in tandem with our daily choice to submit to the Spirit's control. And I make that very clear, it is a daily choice. Every day, we must wake up in the morning and say, Lord, here's my life. Take it, use it, glorify yourself in and through me. And so if you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, I want you to rest assured that the Holy Spirit is within you. You cannot be saved and not have the Spirit. But he desires for you now to hand over complete control to his leading in every aspect of your life. It's his work, but we have to desire it and welcome him to do it and then submit to his leading. For some, like the disciples at Pentecost, there is a euphoric moment when they first sense the Spirit stirring within them. But for others, it can be a very quiet moment with no great sensations. But let me just tell you, whether bold or subtle, The work of the Spirit within a life is always powerful. As a young man, Oswald Chambers, who wrote the famous devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, he battled a persistent sense of barrenness in his Christian life. And he finally wrote, I was getting desperate. I knew no one who had what I wanted. In fact, I did not know what I did want. But I knew that if what I had was all that there was to Christianity... The thing was a fraud. Then Jesus' words in Luke eleven thirteen got hold of me. Jesus said, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so then at a little meeting in Danun, a well-known lady was asked to take the afternoon meeting. She did not speak, but set us to prayer. And then in closing, sang the song, Touch Me Again, Lord. As she sang, I felt nothing. But I knew emphatically that my time had come. And so I rose to my feet. And then and there I claimed the gift of the Holy Spirit in dogged committal to Jesus' words. I had no vision of heaven or of angels. I had nothing. I was as dry and empty as ever. No power or great realization of God. No witness of the Holy Spirit. But shortly after that event, I was asked to speak at a meeting. I gave a simple gospel presentation. Forty souls came to the front. And I came to realize that God intended me, having asked, to simply take it by faith, and the power would be there. I might see it only by the backward glance, but I was to reckon on the fact that God would be with me. And from that point on, Oswald Chambers ministered with unusual power. His words and writings touched people around the world. And when Oswald died at an early age in Egypt during World War I, an old Australian soldier whom Oswald had personally led to Christ had a Bible carved in stone for his tombstone. And the pages of the Bible were turned to Luke eleven thirteen. See, my friends, the Spirit is God's presence, saving us, sealing us, and sending us out in his power to live life fully and freely for God's glory. No longer marching around in circles, doing the same old that we did while still under the law, under captivity, but no, set free to live life fully and freely by him, through him, and for him, to his glory. May we welcome his work and the Holy Spirit within each one of our lives. Would you bow with me and let's pray. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge today that your work within us is a great mystery. Lord, we acknowledge that there are so many things that we simply do not understand. And yet your word makes clear that it is you who works within us, both to will and to do that which is pleasing to you. It is your spirit who brings genuine transformation. Lord, all that we can muster with our own Grit and determination is very minute changes, but even those typically don't last very long. But Father, it is you who brings lasting transformation, for it is you who has promised that he who began a good work will carry it out until the day of completion in Christ Jesus. And so Holy Spirit, it is that that we welcome in our lives today. We welcome your work within us. Quicken our inner spirits to be more aware of your spirit within us. Fill us more fully that we would hear your whispers and be empowered to live witnesses and lives that are pleasing to you, God. That would be transformational to those around us as well. That your power could flow out from us. And that you could do that which is pleasing to you and to save more souls, Lord, that are in desperate need of you. And so, Holy Spirit, have your way in us. We welcome your work. In our lives, we welcome it in this church. We ask for you to flow through this place, Lord, that love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control would abound in this place, that love would prevail, that unity would flow, and that, Father, that you would build up this church for your sake, 
for your glory and for your kingdom. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.